Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, based in the Highlands of Scotland, talking to Roy and his team in the field as they work towards the restoration of species in the UK and abroad. Superb, mate. Got it. Yeah. I recorded them this summer as they collected 11 osprey chicks from nests in Scotland and took them to the south coast of England to help spread and increase the population. I'm lucky I work in these forests all the time. I can see ospreys all summer. I can go out in a day and see five, six different ospreys. Uh, lots of people around the country never get the opportunity to see one at all. It's given the birds the opportunity to spread their range and it's, it's given more and more people the opportunity to see the birds, which I think is brilliant. Forester Alan Campbell, just one of the many people who helped the team collect the birds and send them to England to be looked after for just a few weeks, long enough for them to know that the south coast is where they belong. We've got some fantastic specially designed cages which give the birds a view of the release area and it's that period when they're first in the cages and when they're first flying that they're learning where they're from so they're going to forget about the fact that they're from Scotland originally and actually they're going to become Dorset Ospreys. This is year three of a five-year project with the charity Birds of Pool Harbour aiming to move 60 ospreys in all but their release in pool is just the start of a long journey literally for the young birds who have migration to Africa coming up. They're away for two years or three years and if out of 11, if three came back, we would be pleased. We'll be catching up with how they've all been doing since they got to pool. We're full of confidence for this year and I cannot wait to see the release in a few weeks' time. When that day came, Tim McCrill from the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation was there at Pool Harbour. It's an exciting day. It's... Uh, nearly half five and Jason and I are just at the back of the osprey pens because we're about to go and open the front of pen three for the first release. It's a perfect morning, it's quite still, there's mist hanging in the valley and the idea is that we get the pen front open as early as possible so the birds have got all day to make that all-important first flight. On day one, the team released just two birds. We learned that we wanted to do it as closely as possible to what would happen in nature. So we came up with the idea that we could lower these fronts of the cages just before dawn when the birds are not gonna fly out. And then as the sun rises, they can decide when they want to leave. There's no opportunity of us flushing them or frightening them at what is a very critical time in their lives. Yeah, so that's the um, cage front open, switching a bit. So it must be amazing that moment when the birds are set free. Yeah, but quite often they take a long time. Might be a couple hours. Hours, and you have to wait and watch. Yes, and you mustn't disturb them. And the whole thing is they come out on their own accord. So some might go five minutes, ten minutes, and then one will just hang around and then finally after an hour away it would go. As it turned out though, the first osprey didn't hang around. Well, real excitement. The first bird's already flown. Uh, The pens have only been open for ten minutes. Jason and I slowly lower down the front and we do that without the bird seeing us. Um, We just got back to the spot where we're watching from and, and one's gone. Paul and Liv are the other side of the valley and uh, they're following the bird in flight. So let's just hope it has a safe landing somewhere. It's always worrying. <laughs> you, you kind of do your very best. You hope for the future 
and um, you hope for a success. What you do know is if you do nothing, the chances of these dramatic changes in distribution just don't happen. Okay, this is 20. These birds aren't going to be tracked on migration, but they are carrying radio tags so that they can be tracked in the area after release. When birds are this new to flying, things don't always go to plan. I went down to pool to fit tiny radio transmitters to one of the central tail feathers. These transmitters weigh just two grams, so they're very tiny. And nowadays we have fixed on them a little tube which fits over the feather. So we run the tube over the whole of the feather and then super glue it in and tie it along the uh, shaft of the feather. And the reason we do that is so that in the first few weeks the team can follow them. And if one of them was chased around by a buzzard and fell down in long grass or reeds where it couldn't get out, they could find it and rescue it. So it's a kind of insurance that we don't lose any birds unnecessarily in those first few weeks. We found long ago that the best thing to use for tying that tiny thin aerial of the radio along the shaft of the feather was to carefully uh, separate the bits of the feather and put a bit of dental floss, tie a knot, super glue it and it works very well. Release day is just so exciting. It's 10 to 7 now and the second bird, 023, has now flown. She made a really strong flight in front of the pens and she's landed now in a conifer only about 100 metres away so she can look back at the release pens which is really the perfect place for her to be. 021, he's just flying around a bit further away but he's still within range so couldn't really have gone much better so far. What we now hope is that over the course of the day both birds will make their way back to the nests which are located just in front of the pens and they've got lots of fresh trout on them so with a bit of luck both birds will feed by the end of the day and it'll be even better for the, um, the birds that are still in the cages in the pens to see those two flying around and then coming back to the nest to feed because that will just make subsequent releases so much easier but so far so good. My name is Lucy. I'm a project assistant on the Osprey Pool Harbour Translocation Project. Um, I've been caring for the birds now in um, their pens for a couple of weeks and today is the first time uh, that we've had a release of two of the birds. Uh, watching them fly around is just amazing uh, being where they're supposed to be um, and it's just so exciting to see them um, out and about and doing what ospreys should be doing. Are you worried about them? It's kind of a mixed emotion. Um, I'm really excited that these guys are ready and they're definitely ready to be out and about um, and this is what these guys are supposed to be doing. Um, also, it's a little worrying but they'll figure it out and they really know what they're doing in the end so it, it will all be fine. Hours later, the birds that had left the pens were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. I'm Paul Morton um, and one of the project leaders in this Osprey project and we've just, well, we've released the first two birds this morning and um, momentous day, disappeared for most of the day, although we did have a, a visual contact with them. They hunkered up in some trees on the other side of the estate that we're working on. Um, but it is now 
just gone quarter past six in the evening and both the birds have just flown in and landed on top of the pens which is exactly what we want because we need them to associate this area with home um, so all we need them to do now is drop down onto the feeding nests uh, which I think they'll probably do within the next hour or so hopefully which will then encourage the other birds that we release over the next couple of days to do the same. So this is just amazing. This is what it's all about. This is what we've been building up to for the last two to three weeks. Um, and we're really, really excited. The first day went really well and you keep on feeding them. You keep on again doing what the parent would do in the wild. That's essential. These young ospreys and uh, people never believe it really. And that up here in a nest like, you know, I could walk to a mile from here, there's a young osprey there today and it's been flying already for three weeks and it'll stay there for another two weeks. And its mother went several weeks ago and its father brings fish from the estuary to that nest. And the best thing for that young bird to do is always be near the nest. And then it sees the male arrive, it calls at the male and takes that fish. So it's always stimulating the male to get more fish. Now if it decided I'm going to go fishing, it's almost certainly not successful. And it won't be there when the male comes back and he'll think, oh well I'll eat this fish. So most of these birds are being fed by their male parent till they're five weeks, six weeks old and often the very first fish could be in an estuary on the North Spanish or North French coast. And by then they really have to do it. And then they have to do it, but they've laid on really um, big supplies of fat. You know, they may increase their body weight by a third during that five-week period before migration, and that's like a fuel supply. So if they can't catch something, they've still got plenty of fat. Which is why the team at Pool Harbour have to make sure there's these, these nests full of fish all the time so that the, the birds are never short. Oh yeah, the job's not done when you let the birds go. The most important thing is during the five weeks that they're in the Pool Harbour area that they get as much fish as possible and they can put on the most fat possible for the migration. I've been married to you for ten years so I really should know the answer to this. You must have some memories that stand out above others of watching the birds fly for the first time. No. <laughs> I should know better than put you must in the question. They're all important. That's like asking me my favourite bird. Yes. Well, this brings us to um, names. You don't mm. like names. You still call them by numbers. Everyone does at this point. I've never been very fond of names because I always think it's... a how do we know they like their names? But I was persuaded some years ago that if people, you know, were to follow the fortunes of these birds and to learn more, that in fact calling a bird Logie, the first one we tracked with the GPS transmitters, was actually better than calling it whatever it was. I can't remember what its colouring was. I see I've been converted, bit by bit. Um, not particularly, but <laughs> I think it has its merits. <laughs> I'm on my way down to the Osprey Pens to do a feed. Brittany Maxted is the on-the-ground manager for the Pool Harbour Translocation Project. 
Uh, you might be able to hear the ospreys calling in the background, but that really high-pitched noise is actually a seeker deer alarm calling because they've spotted me. I try to keep as quiet as I can on the approach. Um, you don't want to startle the birds. Um, you want them to want to come back to the pens to feed eventually. Um, it usually takes them a period of maybe one hour or more once they've had a person come down to the pens to actually come back um, and that's just a natural aversion that they have to people and that's entirely natural and what we'd actually hope for them to have as well because it's it's an evolutionary uh, trait that they should um, have a slight aversion to, to people and to other predators so it's exactly what we want to see from them. Hi Paul, are you receiving? Yeah, receiving, over. Yeah, hi. Um, Jason's just done a Yagi, and um, it's number 21, and he thinks it's probably... Now the young ospreys are flying, the radio tracking really comes into its own. It looked really strong in flight. I mean, it just, yeah, it looked amazing. Releases continued over the following days, and adult ospreys were seen mixing with the young birds in the harbour, including one adult released in the project's first year in 2017, and now back from Africa in Poole. With a radio antenna, we can track exactly where they are, and it's pretty rudimentary. Basically, the louder the beep, the closer you are to the bird. But in the first couple of days' flight, when there is a chance of the birds crash landing on the ground, and when we're not quite sure where they're going to end up, it's really reassuring to know where they all are. So, although we're too far away to read the ring numbers, we can tell who it is by the strength of the beep. So, Paul's with me, and we're we're tracking them. So, Paul, who do you think's in the tree? Uh, so we've got three different parts of the tree and we're pretty sure we've got one is number 15. We're getting a really strong signal from number 15, uh, moving up through the channels, getting another good signal from 18. And another decent one from 17. But it's without this, you know, it's an absolute guessing game because the birds can be absolutely anywhere. Um, but with this, this morning we've been able to track down and make sure that all eight of the birds we've released so far, they're still at the release site or, you know, around the release site. Um, interestingly, I'm just watching, there's an adult osprey just come in to land with the chicks. I think it's, could be CJ7. We saw it earlier on, it had a blue ring on its leg. We actually have two adult ospreys in Pool Harbour at present. One of those is CJ7. She is an adult female who was born at Rutland five years ago. And in her first year of return back to the UK, she actually summered in Pool Harbour, where she happened to meet the first eight translocated chicks from the Pool Harbour Osprey Translocation Project. And this has obviously had a really big influence on her because she has re since returned every single summer to Pool Harbour um, in an attempt to breed. Unfortunately, she's not encountered an, a male until this summer when one of our translocated ospreys from the first year, LS7, actually returned to the harbour in early June. And since that time, they've been pairing up, prospecting several of the artificial nesting posts which we've put up in the harbour, and we fully anticipate that potentially next year they could make a breeding attempt. They've also been encountering our osprey 
chicks from this year, which has been really encouraging. They've even come down and taken some of the fish which we've put out for the chicks. I even watched CJ7 actually take a piece of fish out of the claws of a juvenile. Um, but all of these encounters are actually really positive for them because for the juveniles to observe natural adult behaviour in the wild is really important for their development and likewise um, for the adults to be encountering juveniles is reinforcing to them that this is a successful breeding spot, this is a productive site and they themselves should set up and breed here. I love that because that creates a sort of kind of osprey community where you've got four-year-olds, two-year-olds and very young ones and that's how they learn that this is a place for ospreys to live and Pool Harbour itself is just brilliant. It's full of grey mullet, it's a lovely estuary and in the future the south coast estuaries of England will be one of the best places for ospreys. It always amazes me how quickly the birds grow in confidence on the wing. So the birds we let go today have only been flying for a few hours, but we've just been watching one of them doing barrel rolls over the tree that it's just been perched in. And you can really see that they're just enjoying a bit of breeze and getting used to life on the wing. And it's just fantastic to see them growing in confidence almost by the minute. Um, what do you reckon, Paul? Sorry, I'm a bit engrossed watching this bird. So it's number 18. Um, and yeah, he's just taken off from the tree that he was in and he's just, yeah, going nuts. Bobbing back and forth, just dropping out of the sky. Um, oh, just loving it, absolutely loving it. Working with the birds, it's always fascinating how you get to learn their little quirks and ways. You, you become very in tune to the osprey's behaviour and ecology and what they like and what they don't like. Um, and one of the things that we've noticed is that they always like to land on the feeding nests by flying into the wind. So we always know where to look when these birds are coming down to feed. We always know where to position our cameras, where to position our scopes in order that we're most likely to see these birds coming in. We can be quick to react and we can get a nice close view on that bird and identify that bird coming down to feed and that's a really important part of what we do because we want to make sure each bird is feeding regularly and if it's not we need to do something about that we need to go and find that bird and find out why um, and we will do everything that we can to make sure each bird is getting enough food. Once the birds are flying they have skills to learn ones that you might expect them to have by nature like dealing with gusty weather well, it's now nearly six o'clock on the third day of releases and we've now got all 11 young ospreys flying. The, the final three made their maiden flights this morning and the great thing is we've accounted for all of them. We know where they all are. And so now it's really exciting because we're waiting for them all to come in to feed. It's a bit windy today. It's about, I don't know, 15, 17 knots of breeze. And we can see the birds trying to figure out how to get down to the feeding nest. And these two have succeeded, but you can see other ones that I haven't quite figured out how to, to you know, negotiate the wind yet. Ah, oh, here he goes, we're we going go. past now. So, so we've got one circling around in front of the pens, and, and just as Paul's saying, it's really hard for them to negotiate this blustery wind, but go, it looks like go. it's coming into a nest now, and yes, yes it's landed, fantastic. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 22, 022, so that's the first time 022's fed since, since it fledged, or flew for the first time yesterday. It's now tucking into a really lovely bit of trout, which is fantastic because 
this is really the, the key thing now to get these birds feeding well and it's such a good sight to see that feeding now. So we've actually been through quite a lot with these birds. We're now um, getting to the stage where migration is the next thing. Um, we had three birds leave us on the first. Um, they left on a perfect day uh, weather-wise for migration um, and we expect in the others to follow suit pretty quickly. Uh, they're all in brilliant condition so it's just a case of waiting um, for that instinct to kick in um, and for the, the good weather day to um, take our ospreys off to Africa. 022's final sighting was actually from one of the osprey cruise boats that we take out onto Pool Harbour to show members of the public the ospreys so that was such a fitting farewell from, on, for both parties it was really lovely to see him looking so well and then see him drift off into the sky and off on a th several thousand kilometre journey and you keep your fingers crossed because they could set off in lovely weather from Dorset across the English Channel into France and then further down they might suddenly meet awful weather with a strong easterly wind and poor conditions and they might try to cut the corner of the Bay of Biscay and in no time at all they're swept way out into the Atlantic Ocean and in those years when there are strong easterly winds in say early and mid-September I think an awful lot of Scottish ospreys just die right out in the middle of the ocean. Birds in Scotland, which I ring just for the colouring, then looked at them uh, in future years. Were they breeding? Had they been seen in Scotland or my migration? And I checked the kind of annual cohort, you know. I ring this number of birds in one year and then the next year and the next year and the next year. And how many of those birds came back? And it varied tremendously. I remember one year when I think I ringed about 30 young ospreys and not a single one was seen returning to Scotland. And other years, it could be way over a third. And I think once it was 50%. And I think what happens there is that if you have a really good migration for weather and they all get to West Africa, and then you've had a really wet year in West Africa, so there's huge amounts of uh, temporal wetlands which the young ones tend to use because the adults have claimed all the best fishing along the coastal estuaries and coasts. Then those young ones have a far greater chance of surviving and returning. The journey down to Africa can take anything between a couple of weeks, the fastest birds we've tracked uh, from Scotland and, and elsewhere in the UK can get to West Africa in perhaps 10 days to two weeks. Others will take it much more leisurely. So if they find somewhere good to stop off en route, they might spend two or three weeks in France, on the West Coast maybe, somewhere near Bordeaux, or they might find a reservoir in Extremadura in central Spain, or they may even stop off in North Morocco. And then they'll continue onwards and they'll, of course, there are so many hazards on the way. The Sahara Desert is a very daunting challenge for a young osprey and, and, and when they're going over the desert, they've probably got to take four, maybe five days without food before they then reach the really fish-rich uh, coastal waters of West Africa. 
you've spent so much time with these birds, you get to know them all so well, you can get really attached to them. So to see them leave and to know that you're not going to know what's happened to them over the coming months, even years, we have no way of knowing where they've gone or how they're faring. Um, and knowing the, the, the mortality rate is so high in this species, it, it really uh, pulls at your heartstrings to know that that could be potentially the last time you see that bird. But this is outweighed by the excitement that potentially one day you might see that bird again and when it comes back it could be breeding here in Poole Harbour. Knowing that the birds have started to leave a migration and that all of them will be gone in a couple of weeks time it's it's really nerve-wracking at the same time as feeling happy and proud um, and there's a mixture of sadness there as well because even though the end goal is to get them there you've managed to see them grow and develop and get these personalities through that you've got used to seeing every day and it's I'm going to really miss them they're they're amazing birds so learning to let go of that and know that they'll maybe not return is is a difficult thing but you have no control once they've gone and we can only hope that we get to see them back in a couple of years time to see LS7 having returned from two winters in Africa to see our very first bird coming back for the first time and for him to already be pairing up with a female to be establishing a nest to be adding material to be showing signs of copulation it is such a special moment for us because it's the first real sign that what we are doing is making a difference and is going to help to establish a breeding population of ospreys on the south coast. I cannot wait for the day that we have our first breeding but that will just again still just be the beginning of what's going to happen here. We're going to have breeding pairs throughout Pool Harbour, hopefully throughout the south coast. People will come to Pool Harbour to see the ospreys, they will recognise the ospreys as their birds, um, they will become an integral part of the local community like they have done in so many other places um, and that will all be because of the work that we've done, that the foundation has done and it will be such a special moment for, for everyone for generations to come. Liv Cooper and Brittany Maxted closing that podcast from Pool Harbour. If you'd like to know more about the project, just go to the Foundation's website, www.roydennis.org. And the music, Realness by Kai Engel, is downloadable from the Free Music Archive.